time we meet to, uh, to speak to us, Lord. It, it was David's desire. He had one desire that, that, that he could dwell in your house forever, that he could behold your beauty and inquire in your temple, that he could just see your face and talk to you. Uh, and that's our, des- that, that's our de- uh, desire this morning, God, that we would just uh, look into your words, see your face, Lord, and, and talk to you, Lord, and also hear from you, God. It's, that's our, uh, our desire this morning. This is your word. It's alive. Uh, it's important that we listen, God. And, and uh, so we just pray for that today, Jesus, in your name. Amen. First uh, Samuel chapter 16 Saul is beginning to implode uh, in his ministry and and, in this calling that he has as a king. Uh, He's more concerned with saving face and his reputation than pursuing God and obeying him. And Saul is continuing to downplay what he's done and how he's living his life and how he's not obeying the Lord. And God says, and as much as he can do that, God says, listen, you're doing evil in my sight. What you're doing is you've turned your back from following me, uh, it says in the last chapter. And, and you're, you're not obeying my word. You're rejecting my word. And, and, I thought, and I can't remember if I shared this last week or not, just the difference between uh, Saul and David, because this is the chapter where we're introduced uh, with the one guy in the Bible that has more press than almost any other, pers- that, than any other person outside of Jesus Christ, and that's David. And this is where he comes on the scene to replace, uh, he's going to get replace Saul uh, as king. It won't happen for 20 years. But as I looked at their sin and thought about it, and I may have brought this up last week, you know, Saul, what did he do? You know, he, he performs a sacrifice uh, waiting in Gilgal for Samuel. Like he's waiting right to the last minute. People are leaving. He's under pressure, stress. And finally, he's like, someone has to sacrifice. I got to do it. Look at the people leaving. And, you know, he does that, and Samuel shows up. What are you doing? And, you know, he's got a lot of excuses. But really, it's, it seems like it's splitting hairs and, and not that big of a deal. And then, you know, last week, keeps Agag alive. Uh, and the people keep the best of the sheep and the, uh, the ox and the fat. You know, they kept the best stuff. And yeah, he kept Agag, and he admitted that, but he says, man, the people kept all this other stuff. It's, it's their fault, you know. I, you know, I was a little worried that, that something was going to happen. Whatever his excuse was, it also seemed minor, a little bit, you know. It, it, all right, what's the big deal, Samuel? You end up killing Agag anyways. And, and we realized that there was some Amalekites left. That's who takes Saul out eventually. But you compare what he did... It seemed a little bit like splitting hairs, not that major with what David did. David is deceiving people. He's pretending, we're gonna, uh, we'll see later in the book that he pretends he's crazy. He's letting spit roll down his face and, and you know, he's misleading people. Uh, he's lying. Eventually, uh, in 2 Samuel, what's he do with Bathsheba? He, he takes her, commits adultery, makes this whole plan to cover it up kills her husband, takes her as a, you know, David is radical with sin. Like, I would think that, you know, David is in more trouble than Saul. 
But, da- but David, the Bible says, is a man after God's own heart. He's a man that repents. Biblical repentance. He sees what he's done, and he wants to change. That's what repentance is. It's met- metanoia. It's a change of mind. You, you understand, wow, that's wrong. If you turn with me for a second, I know you're in Samuel. Turn with me to Psalm 51, just for a second. We're going to read that real quick. This is David on the other side of all of his sins and what he's done. And Nathan, a friend of his, a prophet, comes and confronts him in his sin. And David repents. And this is his prayer. And he's broken. He says in verse 1, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. That's God's will. Like our sin, our transgression, our flaws, God wants to blot those out. right? But they need to be brought to him. He says, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sins. He says, I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. It's hard for David not to think about what he's done. Moving forward in his life, he becomes a very broken guy. His psalm, the Psalms become sweeter, but you sense the brokenness in David's life. Like it changed him because of what he's done and the recognition, the understanding of his sin. He's like, man, it's always before me. Lord, you've forgiven me. He acknowledges that. You've cleansed me. You've washed me. I'm not doing that anymore. Man, it's always right there. The enemy's right there to remind me. That, that was, if you read as, as, as uh, Paul gets converted, so many times he mentions what he's done to the church, that he abused it, that he murdered people, Christians. Probably that bears down on him in his life, how bad he was up until that point. And he couldn't escape it. He had to write about it three or four times in the Bible. Like He can't escape the fact of who he was and what he was doing to Christians. Like It affected him. So he says, listen, my transgression is always before me. And he says, against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you might be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward part, and in the hidden part you'll make me to know wisdom. And he says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me, I'll be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones you've broken may rejoice. Sometimes God does that. It's a reference kind of to a shepherd and sheep and and what, what happens when a sheep goes astray and how sometimes the shepherd actually has to wound the sheep and then he'll mend the wound and carry that sheep so it stays close. And that's what happens to David here. Uh, and he says, Make me hear joy and gladness. The bones that you have broken might rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out my iniquities. Then he says, Create a clean heart in me, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit in me. Don't cast me away from your presence. And don't t- do not take your Holy Spirit from me. This is something that we're going to see in this chapter that God does 
with Saul. He's going to take his Holy Spirit. He's going to anoint David and put his Holy Spirit on David, and he's going to take the Holy Spirit away from King Saul in this chapter. And David saw the effects of that in Saul's life. He saw how bad it was and what it did to Saul. And, and because he becomes his armor bearer after this chapter, he's right by Saul's side all the time. And he witnesses what takes place here. He's like, Lord, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Can't go through that. Forgive me. And he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. And then he says, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted, right? That, re, you lose joy when you're in sin. And that's where David was. David was dried up, so dried up. And he's like, Lord, restore to me the joy that I had when I was just a shepherd, when I just walked with you. Before I was even a king, when it was just me and you, bring back that joy. I've lost it. And then he says, I'm going to use what I've gone through and even my sin. He says, I'm going to teach transgressors your ways, that you're a forgiving God, that you're a loving God. You're a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances. And he says, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed the God of my salvation. My tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you don't desire sacrifice or I would give it. You don't desire and burn offerings. And we looked at that last week. He says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you'll not despise. That's what he was looking for. God's looking for us to be broken over our sin in our condition. Do good in your pleasure in Zion, and do your do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem, then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offerings, with whole burnt offerings, and they shall offer bulls on your altar. So David is broken. That's the difference between Saul is deflecting his sin, downplaying it. It's not that big of a deal not that bad and what and god says it's evil but what david did is radical but god restores him and heals him and refreshes him that's the thing with sin in your life and mine we have to be radical with it but we do it and we can come to a god of love a god who cares a god who walks and wants to walk with us through it and he's waiting to embrace us God is looking for a pure church, a holy church, one that he can use, one that he can speak to and will obey. I thought about uh, the early church. Um, if you remember in Acts, uh, Ananias and Sapphira, people were, were selling their, their, their stuff. They're selling their land. You know, they just felt I don't know, obligated to do that. It's not necessarily a biblical principle. Like as soon as you get saved, you got to sell all your stuff and give it to the church. It's, it's not, but the church, they just did that. They were just doing that. And then Ananias and Sapphira come up on the scene and what happens? They've got land. They're like, honey, you know, they're, you know, I don't know what the backstory is, 
But they take their land and they sell it and, and they go to the apostles and say, hey, we sold our land for this much, here's all the money. Well, that wasn't true. They agreed before they went to the apostles and said, hey, we're going to give half or we're going to give three quarters. I don't know what it was. Whatever the number was, it wasn't accurate with, with what they told the apostles. But the backstory, who knows? Maybe they said, honey, we got braces coming up. We got car repairs. We got, you know, I want to give money to the church or I want to do this. But, you know, we can't. We got to save this, but I don't want to look bad. I don't want to, you know, let, let's, let's just give some of the money. We'll do that. So they do it, and what happens? God strikes them dead. These aren't apostles. These aren't pastors. These, this is just, just a couple of people who sold their stuff, and they actually gave a bunch of money to the church. God says, that's not a pure church. It's not, I can't work with that. And God sets a precedent early how bad it is to lie or deceive. It's radical. And, and so that's really what Saul was doing. And, and, and Samuel has to be the guy to say, hey, it, you know, it's over. God is going to put someone else in your position. And so we pick up in verse 1, and, and, and I love Samuel's heart here. God says to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I've rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I'm sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I've provided myself a king among his sons. So he's like, all right, you got to quit crying, Saul, Samuel, over Saul. Like, that's the guy. This guy loves him. He, he, he loves this guy. This is the guy that I want to rebuke me when I blow it. Like, he's grieved. He loves him. He's not like, finally, this guy's getting what he deserves He's like, is in tears. And God has to shake him out of this and say, hey, get up. You got to get moving. God's program's going to continue. Samuel has the same heart that God has. Jesus, as he's coming into Jerusalem, it says he's looking over the city at this, the, these people that are about to crucify him, and he begins to weep over the city. And he says, man, if you would have only known the peace that I wanted to bring. This was your day. I came for this reason, to bring you peace. But, but you missed it. And he's weeping over Jerusalem, these people that are about to kill him. And that's what Samuel's heart is here for Saul. And God's like, hey, you got to keep moving here. You got to keep walking. And it wasn't about God's heart like of love for Saul. God loves Saul. But he's, he's, he's moving past that. He's going to deal with Saul in a different way, hoping that he'll turn. And so it says this in verse, and, and, and Jesse, if you remember Ruth and Boaz, Jesse is their, his, their, his grandson. So David would be a great, great grandson. And Samuel says, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he'll kill me. But the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord and then invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I'll show you what you should do. You shall anoint for me the one that I named to you. God meets Samuel right in his fears, right in his struggles, right in his, you know, and, and, and every time God commissions someone, 
he meets them right in their fear. Because oftentimes people are like, wow, this is hard, Lord. What am I going to do? You know, the disciples, as he sends them out, as Jesus is leaving earth, he says, listen, go, but I'm going to be with you. If you turn, turn with me to Joshua chapter 1 for a second. This is what he tells Joshua. His promises, because he knows people can be afraid. He knows our fears, our struggles, our weaknesses. It says, after the death of Moses in chapter 1, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Therefore, arise and go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land that, that I'm giving to them the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread, I've given you, as I said to Moses, from the wilderness to Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea going down of the sun shall be your territory. And no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. I won't leave you or forsake you. Be strong and of good courage for this people you shall divide as an inheritance in the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do all according, do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Don't turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you might prosper wherever you go. And he says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. That's something that Saul wasn't doing. But you shall meditate in it day and night that you might observe to do according to all that's written therein. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. I, have I not commanded you, be strong, don't be afraid or dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That's God's promise always. And that's, that's so he meets uh, Samuel right there. How can I go? What am I, I going to do? And God says, listen here, I got a plan. You just do what I say. Don't worry, right? You just, keep, you just do what I'm telling you to do. You keep going. And, and you know, what's amazing, we got one more cross-reference, but what's amazing is, is Samuel here, God is speaking directly to this guy. He's speaking to him like, all right, go. You want me to go? This is going to be a little weird. Fill my horn with oil, like this animal horn, that, and, and anoint somebody. It's, all right, what if I'm getting you wrong, Lord? What if this isn't right? What if it, and God's like, no, this is what I want you to do. Go and do that. Turn with me, this is the last cross-reference for a little while. Turn with me to Psalm 1. Because it's important that we hear, how do we hear the, God's voice today? How do we hear God's voice? How do you hear God's voice? Have you heard God's voice? Is he speaking to you? I mean, Samuel has something very unique here where God is just saying, hey, go do this, go do this, go do this. Anoint him, go to his house. And then it's like, he's going to find out that he's, there's seven sons there. Like, okay, who do, I, who, who do I anoint? What do I do? But for you and I, I think this is key. Psalm 1 says, blessed is the man who, doesn't wa who, who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But it says, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law does he meditate day and night. It's, it's every time 
someone gets saved. If you're born again here today, you'll know this. Hopefully you haven't deviated from this, but it, it, it happens. When you're saved, when, you get, when you're born again, you have a hunger for God's word. You have a hunger to hear God's voice. You have a hunger to know what God is telling you. Not just, you know, Jesus loves me, this I know. Yeah, that's important. That's how you get saved. I'm a sinner in need of a savior. But how do you walk out your life? How do you continue your life without hearing from God and knowing his will for your life and his purposes for your life? It, the law of the Lord, David says in Psalm 1, becomes your delight. You just love it. You see people that get saved, man. They're wondering, how come there's not three midweek Bible studies? What time's prayer? Why aren't we doing this? What's going on? What else can I get involved in? You're falling asleep with your Bible in your bed. You're crinkling it up because you want to hear God's word. You, it, the Bible says that it's the milk of the word and it becomes the meat of the word. It's what sustains your life. If you're not hungry for God's word, there's something going on in your life. This can't be it. Church can't be it. A pastor can't be it. It needs to be your own meal that you get in, you delight to hear the word of God, right? If that's not happening in you, just it's your own self-examination check. We're like, Lord, why am I not hungry? Why, don't, why do I not enjoy Bible study? It's a drag to come to church. I'm not interested in midweek studies. I'm not interested in hanging out with Christians. It's a good question. Those are good questions to ask yourself. Because if you're born again, that's naturally you'll delight in those things. You'll want to seek the Lord. You'll want to know his word. You want to read the Bible, right? You want to know the author. And it says, then his meditation, the law, it's something that's night and day, right? You're just thinking about God's word. He's speaking to you, right? Twice this week, and it's, it's a nightmare because I don't, I don't like it, and I know it's because I drank something like a, some iced tea, but, you know, uh, I got new iced teas. And I think because I drank them late, just being one in the morning, I'm awake for two hours. I'm trying to wake Lee up, talk to her. I'm, what about this? She's like, leave me alone, right? But I'm just chewing on God's word and, and talking to him and just and meditating on the word of God, Right? And then it happened last night. I'm like anticipating getting up early, and then all of a sudden, two in the morning, boom, I'm, I'm awake. You've got to be kidding me. But just chewing on God's word and chewing on his word. And, and that word meditate, it, it means to muse, right? I, we might have talked about that, that last week. The difference between muse, to think, and amuse is to not think, to like just look at your phone and be amused and not think about anything, right? That's, that's not good. To muse, to actually think about something, to meditate on it, to take a scripture or a chapter and you're chewing on that like, Lord, what's that mean to me? How can I be a better witness at school, at work, at wherever with my family? Like, what's that mean? What are you challenging my heart with that? How, what, what, what is, what is, and, and so you're thinking about it. It also means to mutter right? That you're, you're talking about it all the time. Like you're, you know, mowing my lawn. I love that because I'm always listening to Bible studies, just talking to the Lord. Um, and, and, and you probably do it too. You're just going through your day, talking to the Lord, 
The word of God is on your lips. You're, you're, just, you're ready to tell someone, right? And it also means to ruminate. It, like, a, like a cow would, you know, they eat, then they walk across the field and they lay down under the trees on the edge of the field or they sit down and just they begin to regurgitate like what they just ate. It's kind of gross, right? They've got all those stomachs. And, but that's what the word of God, that's what it means to meditate on the word of God. You just bring it back up. And you think about it. And it goes back down. And like, Wait, well, that's right, Lord. Oh, that meant so much to me here. I can apply that to my life here. Oh, I get, you know, and, and the word of God is just actively going through your mind and you're, 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 you're regurgitating it and you're digesting it and it's making a difference in you and you want to walk it out, right? Because if you're not, if you're not uh, ruminating in the word of God, Something's stirring up there. There's something you're meditating on, right? Your brain is active. What are you thinking about? What are you concentrating on? Out of the, the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Like, what are you talking about all the time with people? What's your focus of your conversation? Is it the word of God? Is it the Lord? Is it Jesus Christ? Right? You need to get in the word of God. If you're not, you need to be there. And if you're not, you need to ask yourself, why? I'm a Christian. I want to know about the Lord. If you're not in the word of God, it's like some alarms should be going off. Why don't I like it? Why don't I want to obey it? Why don't I want to listen to it? Right? So Samuel here has this direct line with God and God's saying, hey, Samuel, go do this. Go to Jesse's house. Like for me, I'm like, what, Lord? Do what? What? Huh? I'm a little thick, but uh, God, is, it's this direct line. But for us, it's the word of God. You need to be in it. You need to ask yourself, what are you thinking about? It's important. So, so Samuel's got this direct line. God is speaking to him and he says, hey, you're going to anoint a king. And he's like, Saul will kill me. Saul is paranoid now. Like Samuel's already told him, your kingdom is, is being stripped. It's going to happen. And he's paranoid. And now even though Samuel loves him, Saul wants to kill Samuel. So it says, Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, hey, do you come peaceably? You know, Samuel's showed up on the scene here, at least in 1 Samuel, and he's brought some judgment. Uh, the last chapter, he hacked up Agag, so, and they know Samuel doesn't mince any words. <clears throat> so they're worried, hey, are you coming peaceably? What, what's, what's going on here? Why, what, are you, what are you here for? You know, and, and he said, peaceably I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons, and invited them to the sacrifice. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, surely, like, does he say this out loud? Uh, I'm not sure. We can assume. He says, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Right? Eliab, what did he look like? You know, how did he, you know, 
walk up, man. Is he, is it, does he look like a, a, a Saul? Is he tall and handsome with, you know, all the right, you know, stuff? You can tell this guy's in the gym, whatever. And he's like, oh, here's our guy. Surely here, this is the Lord's anointed, right? And, and he says it. And then he says, then the Lord says to Samuel, listen, and this is important for us. Don't look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I've refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. He was supposed to wait. Like, that's the communication they have. He's supposed to wait, and he doesn't. He just sees this guy. He's like, there he is. That's the guy. But it's not. Lord's like, hey, no, no, no. God, I don't see the way you see. I don't look the way you look. I'm looking on the inside, not at the outside. It's different. And, and, you know, God has chosen the foolish things of the world. You know, that's really on my credentials, uh, my, my uh, whatever I have in my office, a little plaque. Uh, that should be my scripture. Uh, but, you know, going, if you, I've been to pastor's conferences, retreats, different things. I'm like, Lord, you know, these guys are pastors? You know, I'm sure people are looking at me like, this dude's a pastor? What? Heck, Lord, you'll take anybody at this position, right? Like, anyone can sign up. And it's true, probably, you know, is it, he, God's looking at our hearts, right? And I, just recently, I was down uh, at a pastor's retreat. There wasn't a ton of guys, maybe 60 pastors or so. And one guy, you know, just, he had an eye patch. He had, I'm like, who is this guy? How is this guy a pastor? All right, fine, but, you know, but, but listen, I know you guys would never do that. It's just me that would look at a book by its cover. But I'm just looking at this guy thinking, wow, well, he was like one of the last guys he actually had got to share down there. It like blew me away. I was so blessed by his message. What he, I was like, oh my goodness, Lord. It was like God taught me a lesson. Like, don't just look at, at you know, we say that. Don't look, at, you know, don't judge a book by its cover. And that's what God, God takes whoever. doesn't matter what you look like. And man, we look at this guy and man he looks like he fits the bill and that's the king they got that's the king they wanted like the rest of the world and that's who they got in Saul but God's like no I got a different king it's not it's not his image that you're looking for now we're looking at something more we're looking at a heart something that I see but it's something that you and I have to work on and be careful of right it's something that the Bible says that we need to be careful of our hearts Proverbs 4, verse 23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. The NIV, the NIV says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Right? Be careful. Your whole life is based on your heart. Your heart can deceive you sometimes, right? You know, you're in, you're in school or whatever, and your boyfriend or your girlfriend break up with you, and your mind knows it. You know, you got the little note that somebody passed down the line, I don't want to date you anymore, right? Your mind knows it, but your heart doesn't want to agree with it. Your heart's like, no way, how could she, or, you know, whatever. Because your, your heart is something different than just the un, an understanding, right? Your heart attaches to things, and it moves your feet. That's why the Bible says, watch out for your heart. 
what you attach it to. All the issues of your life tend to your heart and what you're going to give it to. That's why Proverbs also says, my son, give me your heart. God wants your heart. God wants my heart. It's the safest place for it, right? It's the safest place. It's not a, it's not a sinless thing or flawless, but God is looking for a heart. Proverbs 21, verse 1 says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, and as the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wants. That's the heart of David. He's a man after God's own heart, and he's going to do God's will. He's not going to be perfect, but he's a guy that's going to be sensitive to the Lord. Should I go do this? Should I go do that? Should I go do that? And God is moving him wherever he wants. He's sensitive to the Lord. We can give our heart to the Lord. That's what he's looking for. We have to be careful with it. It can be damaged. Your conscience, your heart can be damaged. So God teaches him that lesson and says this in verse 8. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. He said, no, the Lord hasn't chosen this one. Jesse has no idea what, we're ta- what he's talking about. And Jesse made Shammah pass by and said, nope, the Lord hasn't chosen that one. And then Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord hasn't chosen these. Like, that's not him. And Jesse's got to be thinking, for what? What are we doing here? This is, what are we, what's going on? So Samuel, Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? And he says, well, there remains yet the youngest. And there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him for we won't sit down until he comes. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking, and the Lord said, Arise and anoint him, for this is the one. Right? He looked different than all the brothers. Right? He's got a little different complexion. He's got, you know, instead of dark eyes, like brown, dark, he's got light-colored eyes. He looks a little different. He's, you know, he's just a little, small, handsome kid, and God's like, that's the one. He looks different, but that's the one I want because I'm looking on the inside. That's the heart I can move as a river. So that's a guy that's going to listen to me. That's a guy who's going to be sensitive to me. He's literally going to write. He's going to be the musician of Israel. He's going to write all their worship songs, so many of them. This little guy, the, the, his, his brothers, his dad, like, yeah, the youngest. He's still in the field. He's the least. He's the low man on the. This guy is nothing. David, he's whizzy. Yeah, I forgot. I did have another son, right? I've got, I've got eight, I guess. You know, I don't know. Uh, I thought I only had seven. These are the most important, but here's, here's another one, right? If you've got a lot of kids, have you ever called? You know, you're looking at one. You want to call them one name, and you call them another name, right? So there's some confusion there. You can see where there can be some confusion. But David is, is like nothing in his father's eyes, really, right? And his brother's eyes. You're going to see his brothers will tell him that as he goes out to fight Goliath. They're like, what are you doing here, you punk? You're going to go, what are you going to go spy? What are you doing here? Why are you here? But little does Samuel know, this is the most, most important thing he'll ever do. Pouring this oil on this kid's head because David will be the best king Israel will ever see. Just this little guy that's overlooked by everyone else. He's underestimated. He's just a shepherd. He's just keeping the sheep. Overlooked by everyone. And, and that could be someone here. You might feel like that today. Like, 
nobody even knows me. I'd like to serve the Lord. I'd like to, you know, whatever. And you think, nobody even recognizes me, knows me, my family, you know, I'm the least in my family, whatever. God sees you. That heart is what you want to give him, and you, you'll never know what God wants to do with your life, where he wants to take you, what he wants to do with you. Sky's the limit. For David, sky was the limit. He was just a shepherd. Jesus is going to sign off in the book of Revelation as the root and offspring of David. That's how important this guy is. 1,100 times his, his name is mentioned in the Bible. He's got more press in the Bible than any other person, Moses, Abraham, you know, anybody. It's David. He's just nobody. Really just, oh yeah, that's right, I got a, one left in the field, whatever. And, and, and God says, that's the one. He pours the oil on his head. We're going to see here. He says that he took the horn of oil, verse 13, and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. So the spirit anoints David. That's the picture of, of the Holy Spirit. The, the oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit. It's really the equipping, the power, the dunamis, what we see in the New Testament. The, the, the disciples, the apostles weren't ready. All the, all the you know, firsthand, I'm with Jesus, walking with him for, for three years. Jesus didn't say, you're ready. He said, you've got to wait for this special power. It's an anointing. It's the Holy Spirit will come upon you. That's your life and mine. You can study all day. You can, you can, you know, whatever, make the right connections, study the Bible, be talented at different things. Without the Holy Spirit, you're missing it. You're missing it. You'll never be what God, all that God's called you to be, right? All the experience. David was a shepherd. He's going to be, um, he's going to be Saul's uh, armor bearer. And he'll be right there learning the kingdom, learning how to be a king. That doesn't matter. It, it, he needs the Holy Spirit. And you need the Holy Spirit. And the apostles needed the Holy Spirit. But, verse 14, it says, The Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. Right? A distressing spirit means distressed, stressed, overwhelmed, depressed, worried and fearful like that's now what Saul is getting he's he's opened himself up because of his 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 diso and now he's just stressed overwhelmed can't put his finger on it what is wrong with me I don't get it right and it's kind of like first Corinthians 5 it's not a matter of his salvation did Saul go to heaven you know God took his spirit this is an anointing for a position. It's not, not salvation. That's like 1 Corinthians 5 talks about, you know, this guy that had to be turned over to Satan for the buffeting of his flesh. Send him out. Let the world beat him up for a while, and then he'll come back. He'll understand, that's not what I wanted to do. I didn't want to live like this. I didn't want to act like this, right? And he'll learn a lesson. Well, that's what God is doing by sending this spirit. He's teaching Saul a lesson. Why? Because he's hoping he'll come back to his senses, not back as maybe the king. He's actually going to be king for 20 years, but just to his senses. Like, Saul, what's wrong with you? Now you want to kill everyone? You're paranoid? You're just, you know, this is crazy, Saul. What are you doing? 
So, and David will see that, see the spirit departing, that, that that's what Saul's going to lose, his joy, his gladness, all those things. And he becomes stressed, depressed, all these, all these things. Doesn't have to be, you know, to, to grieve or quench the spirit or to go through a situation where you're, maybe you feel like put out, like God is, God is challenging you about sin. And I know I've said this the last couple of weeks. Doesn't you, it's not that you murdered someone or you committed adultery or you're on drugs or in pornography. That may be the case. But it's the little inroads to the heart that get challenged first. Unforgiveness, bitter, bitterness, covetousness, envy. That's actually some of the things that in 1 Corinthians that Paul says, that's what you got to put those people out for. It's not just adultery, right? That they might learn. And maybe you sense that in your own self. You lost your joy, your gladness your sense of God's spirit, your hunger for God's word. And you're wondering, what is it? Why don't I sense God's presence? Why am I not hungry for his word? Why, where's my joy gone? Where's my peace gone? Because the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace. Right? If you're wondering where that's gone, you just ask yourself a question. Where have you gone? Have you moved? And Saul's servants... So other people could see it. Saul's servant said to him, surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. I know what's wrong. There's a spirit troubling you, Saul. Okay, that's good. And maybe people have told you that. Man, what's wrong? You okay? You doing all right? What's the problem? What's, you know, maybe people sense it because people will sense it if there's an issue, if there's a problem. You know, hopefully your, your husband or your wife sees it first. That's kind of nice. So not everyone sees it. So you can deal with it sooner. But it's obvious. And then so they say, so let our master command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who's a skillful, skillful player on the harp. And it shall be he will play with it in his hand, play with it with his hand when the distressing spirit of God is upon you and you'll be well. So their counsel is re relief without repentance. Let me make you feel good. Let me comfort you. What he needed was repentance and they're like, yeah, let's just put some worship music on. That'll help. Well, that does help if it's if repent. You know, if you're just in warfare, there's there's stuff going on. I know my kids at night have had night terrors and different things, and, and we're like, yeah, let's turn the worship music on, and that helps. Maybe, but listen, this guy needed repentance, not people to come alongside and facilitate this rebellion and disobedience in him. And so, but that's what they do, and it's, and it's to David's advantage because this, this natural circumstance puts David right next to him, right? So Saul's servant said, so Saul said to his servants, provide me now a man who can play well and bring him into me. And, and one of the servants answered and said, look, I've, I've seen the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite. He's skillful in playing. He's a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, handsome, and listen, the Lord's with him. That's who you want. That's who you want. Therefore, Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son David, who was with the sheep. Like, so David gets anointed, this oil's on his head, this whole, and he goes right back out. Tending sheep wasn't below him. 
Well, yeah, I could serve. I could, you know, whatever. That wasn't below him. He goes right back out with the sheep, and Jesse took a donkey, loaded it with bread and the skin of wine and a young goat, and sent them by the hand of David to Saul. And David came to Saul and stood before him. And, and listen, it's David loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. God puts him in this position to learn everything about the kingdom, and he loves Saul right to the very end. Right to the very As many times as Saul tried to kill him, David just loved him, just loved him. He had a, a, several opportunities to kill Saul, never did. Tried to reason with him, never killed him, because he loves him. Saul sent to Jesse saying, please let David stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. And so it was, whenever the Spirit of God was upon the spirit from God was upon Saul that David would take a harp and play it with his hand and Saul would become refreshed and well and the distressing spirit would depart from him. So David enters the picture and now we're going to see this, this contrast between Saul and David through the rest of the book. That there's a contrast between these two men. One that wants to follow God whose heart is in God's hand and another one who doesn't, is only cared about, caring about preserving his position as king. And, and it, it, you know, God's not happy with that, and he's dealing with both of these guys. But I got to ask you, we're going to take communion uh, real quick. Listen, if you've lost your joy, if you've lost your gladness, your peace, if you don't feel like God's love for people like something's going on with your spirit. You don't have a hunger for his word. Man, when we're taking communion, remember how much Jesus loves you, what he's done for you, and ask him, Lord, show me where I, where I veered, where I took a detour, where I'm not being sensitive, or I've, I've, I've disobeyed. There's a, ch a chink in my armor, something in my heart that I've let grow there that's now steering the ship. That My heart's not in your hand anymore. Show me what that is, that you might take it and, and lead me. I need you to shepherd my life. I need you to shepherd my heart. So, Lord, we thank you for your word. <clears throat> thank you for the truth of it, God, the power behind it, Lord, uh, that it does speak to us. Uh, I pray that, that uh, we would examine ourselves. Paul says that, that we should be examining ourselves to see if we're in the faith, to see what has become of our faith and our life. And what direction we're going, if we've lost something, if we've, we've missed it in some way, God. If there's bitterness or, or unforgiveness, Jesus, you even told, uh, said that, that if we sense that at a worship service, to leave our gift and go get right, go make that right. That's how important it is. Lord, challenge our hearts, God. Speak to our hearts. Uh, and help us to be sensitive to you right now. We thank you for your sacrifice that covers it all, Lord. Uh, we just love you, Jesus, in your name.